tied for the most terrifying day of my life. I was what? Every other freaking day of my life. <laughs> How are you doing, you wonderful nerds? Scott here, and welcome to what I think is day two of uh, what I'm tentatively calling Month of Monsters. I'm recording some of this stuff in advance, so I apologize for the confusion. Um, But anyway, welcome back. We watched Scooby-Doo Monsters Unleashed. Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed two days in a row. A lot of days to go. And today, I am joined by my buddy, Max... How's it going, Max? Hey, what's up, Scott? Good to be here. Yeah, so uh, we are. Well, I don't really know how to g- jump into this, Max. What? Who? Are, tell people who you are. What? What do you do on the internet? What qualifies you <laughs> to talk about Scooby Doo Two Monsters Unleashed? Oh God, that's that's a question of the day, isn't it? Um, I make YouTube videos about movies. Um. Full stop. There it is. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna, let's see. And that is it. That's that's all I do. That is, that is the only thing that qualifies And it's uh, where can be? What's what's the YouTube channel? You can find it. It's under my name, Max Mariner. M A R R I N E R, like the baseball team with an extra R in the middle. Perfect. Uh yeah. So first question is: Have you ever have you seen this movie prior to me asking you to do this? Yes, I saw it. I saw it the weekend it came out with my dad. Oh, fantastic. And I, I haven't seen I it since. It. Yeah, I don't know if I saw it the weekend, of, but I definitely saw it in theaters, and it was definitely the movie that I remember requesting the most on... We had... Uh, my family, when I was younger, had a uh, a minivan with a, with a TV in it, um, but it was hooked up to a VH... Like a VCR. Like, it, was, it wasn't even, like, DVD compatible. Uh, yes. The 1940s. Yes. <laughs> Correct. That's when I was a child. Um, but... So I we had like a, a very select amount of movies that we would watch and um it would be things like Finding Nemo and The Princess Diaries. Um hmm. and uh Scooby Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed was one movie that no one but me wanted to watch. <laughs> um and, that was uh, actually yeah. Scott, I, I actually um sympathize with that, but in a different context. For me, that movie that was in my parents' like collection that i would consistently watch was uh the adventures of rocky and bullwinkle a movie i could probably watch 31 days in a row now that yeah. i think about it oh man yeah. i want let's we're gonna do a whole challenge of everyone <laughs> it's gonna be a meme across the internet um but yeah so you saw you haven't seen it since is that what you said you haven't seen it yeah. since the opening day wow which is funny because i watched the original scooby-doo like too many times to count like that was a that was a cornerstone of my childhood cinema now, Absolutely. I'm going to have to make you pick which one you think is better. And don't don't think I've I've poisoned the well a little bit by having you specifically talk about one of the two. Yeah. But honest opinion and there um, is a correct answer. Go for it. I would like I know this is probably a general consensus, but I think two is only just a little bit better than the first and um, that's that's li- that's largely because it doesn't try as hard to be in the moment like the first movie was. Mm-hmm. Like in term, like Scooby Doo Two feels a lot more in universe and timeless. Like a lot of the designs and everything of the uh, of, of like from the costumes, yeah. uh, from the the wardrobe, the production design. It's very sixties, seventies ish, like kind of a futuristic sixties and seventies. Yes, and Scooby Doo One. 
it was sort of a fish out of water story taking these classic characters and putting them in this weird late '90s, early 2000s aesthetic. But it like, really was yeah, like that movie, re- like made me realize that the like that movie came out on the last day of school, like the last day of s- second grade for me, and I realized that's when like the big movies I'm excited about come out. Like that was because it was a live action version of a cartoon I had been watching um, at my at, at the after school program for years. So like it you know it was a big deal and. Two, I saw with my dad the weekend it came out. I only saw it once and never again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I I remember, um, I loved and I still love Scooby Doo growing up. And I, I mean, you know, it's it's what it was one of those cartoons and, and just I don't know. I've lo- I love mysteries. I love solving things. Um, you know, it's like it's like a well. I was gonna compare it to Blue's Clues in a way. Um, where, whereas Blue's Clues is kind of like a, 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 a Scooby-Doo for even smaller uh, children. But yeah, it's just like solving mysteries, fun cartoon antics. It's a fun universe. And I do agree with what you're saying about how like the first movie feels very much like a, like a fish out of water sort of a, a thing. And um, Was Mr. B in the first one? Am he I sure was. Oh my God, he really was. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was uh, a big part of that, uh, of that movie. Um, but, and this is actually something, so the first episode I did, we didn't get to talk about the villains of the, yeah. the film that much. And something that I appreciate of this movie, of, of Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed, is the fact that they understand the trope in a mystery movie, a mystery story, where more often than not the the villain or like the the person behind the mask is usually the most famous actor outside of the principal cast right oh i didn't think about that and so this movie gives you it, it tries to subvert that by giving you not only uh alicia silverstone who is someone i even i recognized at the time growing up because well i recognized her because of batman and robin i was wondering like is it clueless or is it batman and robin it's definitely batman and robin (laughs) um but they also threw in uh like seth green obviously as another red herring um i didn't recognize him at the time because i didn't know but like peter boyle is also uh old man wickles as another so it's like they understood that trope of like People are going to know who the villain is. Like, Rowan Atkinson was arguably, uh, in the first movie, like, arguably the most famous of, like, who could have possibly been the people behind it. And it turned out that it was kind of him, but a robot form? I don't know. That first movie is weird. But, yeah. So, I think I liked that idea of them um, trying to flood the movie with interesting cast members yeah and i think that also helps in how we are introduced to like who's behind the mask Mm -hmm. like as you pointed out the villain does not have a name and the weird thing is it's not like it it, it's never really like a problem until you think about it which is something that i hadn't considered before like every time we see one of the monsters come up it's like they always they always have a name for him right like uh the cotton candy glob or the the pterodactyl ghost which how does it Whatever. And, um, hey man, pterodactyls can become ghosts. You don't know. Remember, I'm gonna pitch my sequel for Jurassic Park, uh, Jurassic World, 
Jurassic Ghost World. I don't know. It's gonna be it's crossover with Danny Phantom. I'm still working on it. It's, oh my god! It's more of a don't fanfic give me than that, anything. Oh boy! Oh man, that's a good time of the year to watch that old show. Um, <laughs> so like you have all these names for these monsters, and then you don't have the name for the main like bad guy with the mask, which is that's so weird. Yeah, yeah, which is interesting because he's also like it's very like. I wouldn't remember it, but it's also it's very much like an iconic design. It has very striking imagery with like this metal mask with I like love a whole that cape and everything. Design. Yeah, it's 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 a good look. It's definitely a good look. Um, but like, I I do pay attention to how the mystery is uh, is revealed. Like you know, like movies I've seen recently, like uh, Incredibles two, for example. Like sometimes in movies that in mystery movies or movies with a mystery that are aimed at children, it's not really about who you don't see coming. It's how the movie is structured in a way that, like, you can pick, you know, how easy it is to pick up on who the real villain actually is. And there is a point in Scooby-Doo 2 where it is definitely up in the air as to who's really behind it, uh, which is something I can, I'll definitely say I did not expect. But then when they do reveal it, it's like, it kind of comes out of, like, it's not so much... Uh, what is what is the what is Alicia Silverstone's character's name? Oh, uh, Heather Jasper Howe. Yeah, really? What a all right. Um, like it, it's not so much that it's Heather; it's also like, and it was actually her cameraman who was behind the scenes, which is like, like Ned. it just kind of feels out of nowhere. And then they also play with how it isn't Patrick; like, not a single moment is Patrick even involved. Right. Okay. So this is something that that bothers me. This is probably like the, the strangest character. Uh, motivation, I guess, or, or lack thereof. Patrick is just weird for the sake of being a red herring. Like, it's never explained beyond, like, oh, yeah, he just gets intense sometimes and, like, shows up in random places. And, you know, like, because, like, I don't know. It's just the, the movie wants you... <laughs> Ricky made this really interesting uh, meta-analysis of all of that weird stuff with Patrick is solved by the end of it. When Velma just says like, um, you know, you don't have to explain anything. I trust you. And I think Ricky was saying like, that's probably the screenwriters being like, look, just trust us. Okay. Mm. Patrick is fine. But I felt, yeah, I felt like he was, he needed expl- explanation about what he was doing there. What, what, yeah. like the way he was acting was like, I mean, I I don't understand why you would make such a point to like show him like aggressive and then never actually point out like what it, like I'm not one to point out plot holes, right? Like I don't I think that's just bad film criticism. But if you're gonna be if this is a movie about a mystery and everybody's like got their own motivations and stuff. What is Patrick doing at the shrine? What is he doing? Like being really aggressive with that guy behind the villains bar, which is a whole other thing. And <laughs> like, you know, he acts, yeah, he, he needs explanation to fit into the mystery because if he's just a red herring, it's more, it's less like, you know, it's less of a shock and reveal. It's more like, Oh, you just, you just, it was like, how does it go? It was like dog, 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 elephant, like that kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, I, I, for a mystery that is solved, I would hope that there would be at least a little bit of explanation as to why the dog was actually an elephant, and you know, instead of just like leading us along and then snapping us backwards. I get you. I I, I do think that my one of my biggest issues is they 
the movie could have established things better. Like, for example, they one of the the damning clues in the end, right, is a newspaper clipping that shows Jacobo was alive when the museum was being constructed. Yeah, I, I guess I just didn't pick up on that. that yeah, well, so they never showed that newspaper clipping anywhere else but that point in time. And I wish, I wish, like, it was just somewhere on screen at some other point in the movie like just as a regular newspaper or something that the audience could have picked up on by themselves without needing velma to like pick it up and be like oh look i found a shrine and look it's got this like if it was just an actual clue that the audience members could pick up on that would have been awesome um yeah you know it's a good mystery story should lay out all of the evidence it should lay out all of the clues in front of you and and in a way that makes you go, oh, I should have put that together. Mm-hmm. Um, That's why I think it, the, yeah. the, I think, and this is weird, I was thinking about this as the movie was ending. I think the best Scooby-Doo movie ever made is Hot Fuzz. Like, oh, okay. Except it's <laughs> it's Fred and Scooby as the main characters. Like that's you know, and it's it's in that same sort of live action cartoonish kind of style, and it's got a mystery around it. Yeah, and then, on, but honestly, it leaves the clues for you to discover, and it's like, oh my god, that actually adds up, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's uh that's interesting. That's a really interesting take that Hot Fuzz is the best live action Scooby-Doo movie. That's fun. I like mm-hmm. that. Uh that's a movie I haven't seen in ages. It's my favorite comedy. But you it's, should definitely check it out. I got to watch it again. Another thing I want to ask Okay, so this movie is like so Scooby-Doo 2 is supposed to like it's supposed to shake things up by showing a bunch of like monsters coming to life, right? Yes. They never point out that the mo- like they never make a point to to recognize the monsters are like real this time. Like they're not behind masks or anything. Like they're elemental creatures, and it always kind of struck me because the main point behind the Scooby Doo stories is that there is always somebody like behind the mask. You know? Yes. So there are a couple of things I- I've thought about this too, right? So obviously the very first movie, the one that took place before this there were already real monsters. And so it could just be that they were just like, Oh, again. But the problem with that is they don't act like it's a second time because there's no reference to the fact that they've already seen real monsters. In fact, in the beginning of the movie, they still talk about how like, Oh, it's always just men in masks, you know, monsters aren't real sort of the thing. Um, So that kind of throws that idea, that theory out of, out of the window. And to kind of go along with that, there's a point in the movie where they, Velma analyzes the pterodactyl scale and she discovers that it's real and she like declares it. She's like, this is a real pterodactyl scale and nobody reacts and they just move on with the conversation. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Can we go back to the fact that this is a real living dinosaur? What is happening? Also, I, maybe this is like for my own research. Do pterodactyls have scales? I gotta look that up. <laughs> yeah, it was good to see uh, Rodan from Godzilla getting work, though. Uh, that's always nice. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, I wanted to ask you, Scott. Are those? I, I watched Scooby Doo a lot when I was a kid. But are yeah. those like actual monsters from the show? Uh, most of them are. Yes, as far as okay. I, I, I don't think all of them are. I'll, I'd have to go back, but. Uh, almost all of them, yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. The Black Knight Ghost was the very first episode of Scooby-Doo, so it was kind of cool to see them not only pay tribute to that monster, but also the guy behind it and kind of see what his story was 
uh, yeah. after all those years. And yeah, you pointed out in the previous episode that this is like a love. You know, the, you do say this is a loving tribute to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as somebody without a lot of stake in that game, I was still <laughs> thrown off by a lot of the stuff. But I would definitely say that like the most important. I don't know. I mean, obviously, the most important part of any like any of these brands are the characters. But like, really bringing the Scooby Doo world to life was like the most consistent thing I enjoyed in the movie. Like, the production design is out of this world. It's it really is. I love the the like. The, there's so many talented people who worked on this movie behind the scenes to just make the world come alive. It's so good. Yeah, I mean, really, to be fair, and like, I think about the costumes and whatever what the characters are wearing. Like, I don't know how the last Scooby Doo movie had the most classic look of all the characters. And then this one has like the slightly twinged up early two thousands look like it should be switched. Like, and by the way, also funny, they never mentioned the first movie, never mentioned what happened in the first movie, right? Never at all. Um, because no, I have had this I'm sure I'm going to talk about this theory in like ever or not maybe not a theory but preference in every single episode because I stand by it so sorry audience but you're going to hear it a thousand times um, I think this movie was a better first movie than the first movie was hmm. uh, it introduced the characters better it introduced their legacy better um, it, you know the first movie started with them breaking up but we hardly knew who they were at that point um and I think if you reverse the movies, you won't miss much of anything. You could immediately go and, yeah, and, and watch them in reverse order, and you'd be perfectly fine, I think. And if, in fact, I think you'd be better off, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I, it's just like, it, I, you know, I, and then as I watch this movie and I realize, like, this is definitely an early 2000s live action kids movie. Yep. And all the, Ba- baggage that that comes with it um i i gotta be honest with you scott um, be honest lay it all out there i had i had to i had to take this in two parts like i had to put it down and come back to it oh, today no. and watch it like, where did what was the part that broke you that made you stop uh the part where like shaggy and scooby are like um making music in the i'm tunage <laughs> yeah i was like <laughs> I mean, again, I I try not to be condescending about this kind of stuff because, you know, it, it's really easy on the internet to be super cynical about the stuff you grew up watching, you know, yeah. in no small part to the YouTube movie scene. But, like, I, I I try my best to be, like, honest, to be, you know, to acknowledge yeah. how I feel about something, but this was pretty hard to watch sometimes. <laughs> and a lot of it has to do with the fact that there are, like, it is so focused on the like it's it's more conflicted than the first Scooby Doo movie, which is more out and proud about its um b- badness. <laughs> like in this case, it was I could tell I could just tell there was they were trying to go for something more a, a stronger connection yeah. to the original series, but like they just couldn't get around to it. And what I, I I I definitely noticed is how the characters kept kind of bringing up their own existence in the show, which made me realize. This franchise is prime for deconstruction. Like, absolutely. There's no... Yeah, definitely. I don't mean, like, a watchman for Scooby-Doo. Like, that's not what I mean. (laughs) Like, I mean, like, taking these characters and being honest about what they represent. Because they are, like, walking tropes. And the reason why we make tropes is so we can discuss them. And these these five are so thoroughly, like set in stone for so long, and they represent a very specific time in american cultural history that like we can't help but like analyze them i mean the fact is 
Well, I think the two characters who got the most attention in that regard were uh, in this movie were Velma and Daphne. Yeah. Like Daphne, it was it was very quick, but Daphne kind of has the best like some of the best material in the film. How she like consistently tries to like actually do some damage, physical yeah. or like oh yeah, or, you know, trying to crack the case. And then she's like, you know, she was like distraught, and she asked Fred, like, "Am I just a pretty face?" Like that whole thing. That's like you're getting there. I, I can see it there. I, I can see what you're doing, movie. And then Velma, like her whole relationship with Patrick is entirely about like taking the this incredibly non-sexual character and and putting it in her face which is why i think one of the better parts one of the better bits in the movie is when she tries to doll herself up in that 70s swag yeah that's interesting that is the part of the movie that consistently is so hard for me to watch i i understand i i I think i i think i agree with you but i I like where they were going with it i I appreciate that like you know it, it definitely felt like they were the screenwriter James Gunn was, I, I'm sure he was trying to say something about these characters and it just got mired in studio nonsense. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I, I think there are, there are moments where it sounds like they're going to say something and then they just kind of don't like going back to that moment where, where you're talking about with Daphne when she was like, am I just a pretty face? And then Fred's like, no, I mean, Yes. I mean, not fat. Definitely not fat. I Mm. was like, um, I don't like, I get that Fred's kind of a bumbling, uh, moron in this. He wasn't like that in the original show. Was he? He was like, not in in the original show, straight man, right? He's very much, it has a similar, uh, you know, a similar, uh, type of mannerisms in more modern Scooby-Doo. They make him more, um, in, in modern Scooby-Doo, they make him more, um, kind of oblivious and very obsessed with traps and setting traps and hmm. all sorts of stuff like that. Like that's more his speed. Um, whereas Daphne for all, for all intents and purposes, Daphne is, the pseudo leader, but she just kind of lets Fred be like, pretend that he is. And that, at least that's, that's my interpretation of it, which is why I think in like this movie demonstrates it perfectly. Daphne does the most out of anyone period. Like objectively she's fighting people. Um, you know, she's, uh, she's helping everyone else with their different problems. Like she's helping Velma with her personal life and she's trying to solve, you know, I don't know. It's, I feel like she does so much. Like she does the whole MacGyver escape thing with the, uh, with the rolling ball and the, um, in the mansion and the Wickles mansion. So it's like, she has so much that she's actually contributing to the team. It feels Mm -hmm. weird that she's the one saying like, do I do anything on the team? And I'm sitting here screaming, you're the only one who's doing yeah. things on the team. Mm-hmm. And, uh, okay, and then I gotta ask you, Scott, just like sort of a sideline thing. Yeah. Would How would you, like, do you think it would be a good idea to readapt Scooby-Doo and turn it into, uh, give Daphne the leader role, like the out and proud leader role? Out and proud leader role? I don't know. Maybe. Um... Yeah, I mean, why not? I think I I like the dynamic of that she doesn't need it. Like that the audience can see that she's the real leader, but being the leader means a lot more to Fred than it does to her. 
Like, yeah. I, that's the kind of dynamic that I like. That <laughs> Does Fred do anything right in this movie? I guess he, he, he defeats the Black Knight in a joust. No. He doesn't. No, he doesn't? No. He loses, and then... Um, and then Daphne shows up and t- and tells him to do the jumper cable thing. That's right. Yeah. No. He he knocks the knight down, but he doesn't like defeat him. No. That's that's Daphne. Yeah. Yeah. Daphne so does all the things. She's like the hope. Van D- <laughs> she she's like the hope of this movie. She's she's the wasp of yeah, uh, the Scooby Doo oh, movies. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Like I've the what I noticed Fred doing in this movie, and I'm wondering if it was like an in in like a a purposeful commentary or something was he would finish other people's sentences like as if you know as if he was the leader as if it was his thing Velma would discover a new clue and then as she's saying what it is Fred would be like finishing that same thought like finishing the end of that sentence and announcing it kind of proudly as if like as if he was the one who discovered it and it's so subtle they don't make a point about it Um, and that is the big thing about this movie they keep making points about these characters and then not like making note of them like they're just like yeah fred is trying to be the leader period like there's no there's no like added clause to that well so there are very minor um like almost swept to the absolute edge of the sidelines with uh with like fred specifically there's that whole thing that only pops up at like over half halfway through this movie where they're they're defeated they're at their old clubhouse and daphne's like hey do you want to what's going on do you want to talk about it and he's like talking's for wimps it's time for action and like that was such a jarring thing for him to say and then it kind of comes back it well it does come back later on um as they're defeating the the black knight ghost and the ten thousand volt ghost um when the black knight ghost is like you you talk too much or whatever and he's like you gotta be more in touch with your sensitive side, you know, like as if Fred had learned this great big lesson somewhere off screen mm-hmm. that we didn't really get to see or, or participate in. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And, and that, and there's also, there's Velma's whole thing about like being yourself and not trying to be someone you're not. And that was like very like thrown in your face at the end, like just verbatim. She's telling Patrick like, uh, next time we go on a date, I'm going to be myself, you know, like, I don't know. Some of that character development could have been handled a little bit smoother. I think. Yeah. And then of course, and, the, and I will say just like, while we're on the subject of the, of the main cast, Linda Cardellini as Velma is like God tier casting. Yeah. And right. <laughs> Sarah Michelle Geller as Daphne is like demigod tier. Like that, that was a really good idea. So good. Uh, Unfortunately. Uh-oh. What's what's happening? I would like because we, we haven't talked about them yet. I would honestly say the worst parts of the movie are definitely with Shaggy and Scoob. Uh, really? Like, it just it just like the weird thing is okay. Um, one Matthew Lillard is 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 fine. He, he's fine, and I think he he gets Shaggy across really well. He's definitely like got like he, he's definitely got the cartoon expressions. Yes, he definitely knows he's in a live action cartoon genre, which is one of my favorite yes. genres. Like that's, I feel that. That's exactly what I was gonna say. He brings a ton of physicality to the role, and he does not hold back. And so, props to him for at least that. I think it's just he's given such like uh, it's 
it's honestly like Shaggy written by somebody who doesn't like Shaggy that much. It, that's how it already always felt like to me. And then Scooby is like, God, shut up, buddy. Just like, just... oh no. And if, and you know, it doesn't help that the CG has. I mean, it never looked good, but especially it doesn't now. Yeah, like, it's it certainly doesn't hold up in a lot. The VFX of areas. work is tr- garbage. I will say, there are a couple moments of Scooby that were were subtle, but I thought really nailed by um the the animators who are working on him and the one the one moment that sticks out the most to me is when they're being chased down near the end they're all in the car and scooby's driving the car um and they're telling him to get behind the wheel so it's like him kind of scooting over to get behind the wheel and he does this thing where he like slicks back his ears and he's like doesn't know what to do oh yeah yeah, then he accidentally honks the horn it frightens him a little bit and Mm -hmm. like just that whoever the team animating that i thought that was such it was the most real it was so subtle and so small and so quick but it felt so real and very funny um to see like a dog yeah, just like try to be like, um, okay, let's see, what do I hit? And then hit the honks the horns like, nope, okay, nope, not that one. Yeah, and I just, I, I don't know. There's something about it that I found really charming and really fun. Honestly, that was like that was a good moment for the like for Scooby is like just he just it just comes down to like how much presence he has. I mean, Scooby Doo, it's like he he is the he, it's weird how he's both the mascot and also like the comic the comic relief, and mm-hmm. that's just you know, and it's kind of. It actually reminds me a lot of what a lot of people saw was a big challenge with the Deadpool movies. Is that Deadpool is a comic relief character, and comic relief characters are difficult to make protagonists because they just get obnoxious. Yeah, Deadpool made it work. Scooby Doo two did not. Oh, <laughs> I man. don't think so. Yeah. Like he just like Scooby like just drove me nuts. Um, but yeah, of course you know that's just me. Uh, that's ugh. just me here, Max. I hate everything Scooby Doo Mariner. Um. Uh. It's. I'm thinking about like. Oh yeah, that's right. And the last thing is, I was thinking one of my favorite. While I was watching this movie, I was thinking a lot about a moment from not this movie, but a different live action cartoon. Which is, I don't know, the last time you watched uh, Looney Tunes back in action. <laughs> it. I don't know. Years, many, many years ago. Really, really good. And one of my favorite jokes in it. It's one of the most incredible moments of breaking the fourth wall I've ever seen. It is in literally in which Casey Kasem, an animated Shaggy. Mm-hmm. Played by like voiced by Casey Kasem, who mm-hmm. did the original voice, right? Yes, he's literally scolding Matthew Lillard at the WB lot about screwing up his character. That's and right. Yeah, yeah, my, I remember that. Like, I think it's like even taking aside my opinions on the matter, like I think it's just a genius moment. Like, I don't, I can't think of any other moment like that in the history of fourth wall humor. But I, 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 remember, I was watching the whole movie thinking, did Matthew Lillard deserve that roast in that movie? And I would say it wasn't. It wasn't his fault. It was his, it was the material he was given. Yes. Like he's just like a hundred percent. I mm-hmm. look, here's the thing. I will defend Matthew Lillard as Shaggy until the end of time, because I do think that it was more so of the material. I, I'm going to harp on this forever, but in both of the live action Scooby-Doo, I know there were the TV ones. We're talking about the, the big boy ones. Um, in both of those, there's too much, fart humor and that's never anywhere in the cartoons three 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 jokes and and i I don't mean that as an only three i mean three like oh god like yeah yeah and you even gave one to velma how could you right okay yeah that was very ugh 
and it went on for too long. But like, like Velma is the heart and soul of this movie, and you gave her a fart joke. Come on, guys. <laughs> but look, like I, I Shaggy or um, Matthew Lillard would talk about his preparation for the role of Shaggy, and he would listen. Um, he would pull up episodes of of Scooby Doo, and he had it mixed down to just the Shaggy parts, just Casey Kasem's uh, voice acting. Um, and he would listen to that for hours, just trying to get the inflection right, just trying to get the tone right, trying to understand the character. And uh, I think he crushed it and just should have been given better stuff. Proof by the fact that he is shaggy nowadays. He's the person now that, you know, unf- sadly Casey Kasem is. No oh, is he the voice us. of shaggy now? Yeah. Now that cool. Casey Kasem is no longer with us. Uh, hasn't been for quite a f- few years, but yeah. Uh, passed it on to Matthew Lillard. Who's been doing it for, you know, he, he took on the role and that's, that's who shaggy's been ever since. And um, yeah. And he, he nails it and I love him. And I want him to be on this podcast. So if you know Matthew, oh, that would be so awesome. Reach oh, out. Oh my god! Tell What's Freddie Prince Jr. up to these days? Apparently, he has a gaming channel. What <laughs> on YouTube? Yeah, yeah you're yeah. kidding me. That's mm-hmm. amazing. I have to go watch it. They don't. That's amazing. They don't have that many followers, from what I hear. So people, a couple friends of mine, were like, "Yeah, just reach out." And I'm like, uh, "I'll wait until I have a couple more episodes." Down Did you know he like he was? There, there was a rumor he was going to play Spider Man. Oh yeah, but like years ago, not like not like modern. Oh yeah, no, day. I mean like yeah, back yeah. in like back when the Spider-Man movie was still like up in the air, like in the like 2000-1999 range. Like oh, for sure, yeah, I, that, that's I how big he him. was back then. I love him, and he he deserves to be, you know, a bigger celebrity. I don't know if that's an insult or or whatever. I, I'm bad with compliments, but I just mean to say <laughs> he's great, and uh, I like him as fred again i i love all of these actors i think the material they're given is not not a hundred percent great it could improve a lot um but i think the cast is just incredible mm-hmm. i think like i think the reason why people i mean i i can't remember what exactly made the first scooby-doo such a success but i think it largely has to do with the fact that the parts with the gang like together and like interacting and stuff People liked those. People gravitated towards that. And they definitely brought that a lot in this movie, too. Just to the point where it, like... Where it was, like, everything else kind of shut off for a second. Like, this is why, you know... And maybe it's also because in the first movie, they took them out of their natural environment and put them on an island. And then in this case, they're putting them amongst their, like, natural environment. What is... What is their natural environment, though? They're always in a van traveling from one place to the next. Yeah, that's true. I get, like... In their in their hometown of Coolsville, USA. Is that is that canon? Is that like really in the show? Yeah, I mean or- to, again, it, the the lore of Scooby Doo is complicated, but um, Coolsville was introduced in a pup named Scooby Doo, which was the was the show. Oh no, I I know a pup named Scooby. Right, right. But I was gonna say it's it's the show that was the it, it was the last airing Scooby Doo show before these movies came out. Really? Yes. Wow. Um, and then I made a huge resurgence, like What's New and yeah, Mystery What's Incorporated New and all that stuff. because of these movies. And so Coolsville was kind of established um, as like, yeah, it's definitely the place. But Monsters, Inc., um, which is one of the more recent shows, established it as their, their hometown of Crystal Cove. So there's a lot of different lore and like theories about alternate universe Scooby-Doo stuff. 
um, which is very interesting. Crisis on Infinite Scoobies. Right? Maybe one of these episodes will try to break down. I have a couple uh, guests lined up who are like huge Scooby-Doo experts, so I would love to pick their brain about Just, just pull a Turtles Forever and bring them all in the same place. Bring them all together. Like It'll literally just animate time. the live action characters and get the original and get like, get Linda Carlini and, and Sarah, like just getting like to voice all the characters. That would be, that would be special. But like, yeah, sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting off track because no. like Scooby-Doo is, a, is a franchise that like thrives on uh, reinvention and reinterpretation. Like, like there've been so many different versions of it and I can only want, I, maybe that's also the issue with this adaptation is that. The original movie was taking the Scooby-Doo characters and putting them in the early 2000s, right? Like, I mean, I, I can't even remember. Like, I haven't seen the movie in years, but I can, I, I clearly remember Fred's whole weird rock rap thing that he was doing when he was possessed by the anorexic bunnies in whatever. Like, That's exactly what they were, yes. Yeah, like, I, like, I remember they were like, you know, they tried to be like, cool. Like, they, it's kind of, it was an interesting deal uh, in... For some reason, I'm reminded of how people talk about the Fantastic Four these days and that these square characters put in a modern environment would not gel. And that was the whole premise behind the first Scooby-Doo movie, right? Like, Yeah, like because they were very much... Like, the, the intro to the first Scooby-Doo movie uh, has them all in, like, cartoon-accurate wardrobe and even hairstyles. And yeah. It was, it was... With that awesome, uh, go, like... I remember. I don't know how you describe it. It was like a ghost jester kind of thing. Oh yeah, the lunar ghost. I yeah. freaking love the lunar ghost. Um, yeah, and uh, that was one of my favorite. Like the first Scooby Doo movie is very much like. Um, I'm gonna get a lot of flack for this. It's very much like Thor Ragnarok to me, where my favorite part is the beginning before anything happens. And so I love the lunar ghost scene in the first Scooby Doo movie. I love the in Thor Ragnarok the whole scene with uh, with Surtur. Um And then as soon as the movie kicks off, it's like, all right, this is fine. But can we go back to that first part? It was awesome. And uh, I don't. I, I'm probably in the minority there, but uh, I just yeah. There's something special about the intros to both of those movies that I just love the aesthetic. So of. like in that regard. The original, like, Scooby-Doo 2 is much more trying to be, like, in line with the original series and, like, adapting, like, the original, like, form and function. Yes. And maybe that's what where it, it has strengths over over the first one and, like, actually functions more as, like, a, not as a bad movie, just, like, a below average movie, but also where it kind of stumbles and that, like, at some point with this franchise, there's not much to explore, so you just kind of, like, start spinning in place, you know? I get you. I don't know. I, 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 my, I think the biggest strength that it has is is the world building of this movie. Like the fact that they're they're bringing back older, uh, in canon ghosts, and not only the ghosts but the characters behind the masks, um, giving them new life, breathing new life into there, and and uh, yeah, trying to show how far the gang has come since then, which is why I think it serves as a better first movie than the first movie does. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I so what would what would you say then were the were the I guess your biggest problems are that it's trying to say something about these characters, but it's and not. Yeah, it never does, and it also it just thrives on a lot of like cheap, um, lowbrow gags, which I'm sure was a studio note. Like, yeah, we know what the screenwriter is capable of now. I don't really think he would, you know, I, he wouldn't do both movies if like you know if he had if he was so like not into these characters. So I'm sure it was like a studio thing. Like, you know, you gotta have the fart jokes in there, and like. Near the end of the movie, it actually like turns like the humor gets a little bit gets a lot better. Like, 
Shaggy's like, this is the scariest day of my life. And they're like, what? Like, since when? It's like, since every freaking day of my life. Like, that, that's just you're like gonna, a really good line. You're going to love this. Um, that is the line that opens each and every episode of this podcast. Really? Yes. Oh, well, perfect. Like, that's like a great line. Mm-hmm. And it I was, love it, that line. I think it, it was around the time when the giant pirate ship yes. surfed into Coolsville, which, do we ever see that thing again? Um, yeah, I can't remember. It was when I realized, like, there is, there is, like... I'll, I'll, I'll let you know if I ever watch this movie again, but what are the <laughs> odds of that happening? <laughs> I'm sure you'll pick up on so many things. This, yeah. this film is truly the Star Wars of its time. You, you can just watch it so many times and, and, and recognize new things That's everywhere. Right. Like, like the, like, my personal favorite joke in the whole movie is the, uh, is how it's a pair when, um... When Patrick and Velma meet for the first time, and they're talking about interrogative pronouns. I looked up what they were talking about, and then it actually like it, it finishes up at the uh, villains bar or whatever, where they're like, "It's those kids. What caught us last time?" It was like, "Oh my god, you wait, that's, hold on." That- so explain this because that's fascinating to me. Oh, so they were talking. Wait, I- I'm sure you'll pick up on it next time you see or whatever. But like. I, I know uh, the conversation, but like, so they, were, but I just couldn't understand what they were saying because oh, was they were so talking about words. how criminals use interrogative pronouns in place of relative pronouns, which is a which is genuinely absurd. And it's like I looked, I just I stopped the movie. I'm like, yes. this what? means something. This yeah. is James Gunn. This means something. So I looked it up. Interrogative pronouns are like what and how, and then relative pronouns are who and whom and all that stuff. So like instead of it, it, so, like, later on in the villain's bar, uh, Shaggy and Scooby get caught. Like, they are exposed. Hashtag exposed by <laughs> that they do it. Um, yeah. And, like, one of the guys are like, hey, it's those rotten kids which caught us last, like, yeah, which yeah. caught us in the act. Or, like, what caught us in the act. And yeah. it's like, oh. they do use the interrogative verbs instead of or pronouns instead of relative pronouns. That's and it's like, it's fantastic. brilliant. It's genuinely brilliant. Oh, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's so it, clever. <laughs> it's also during the scene of it that uh, one of the that what is his name, H- old guy, Hank Wickles. Wickles. Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, <laughs> Wickles like point out like you know how we're all bad guys and we're just trying to find a place to belong and stuff. And I'm like, who wrote the screenplay again? Hmm. <laughs> Wickles was such an interesting character because, you know, number one, he was, he, I have this, I had this theory and it's not super fleshed out, but like, I feel like Patrick and Wickles have to be related because, Hmm. because number one, they hug at the end of the movie, which I know is probably just meant to be like a funny gag. Like, oh, these two characters, they're hugging for some reason. Wow. Whatever. Yeah. But the fact that they're both in the Scooby-Doo lore, Wickles was a museum curator and so is Patrick. And I think that's interesting. And Patrick is specifically a museum curator about the Scooby-Doo and Wickles was the very first Scooby-Doo villain with the Black Knight ghost. I don't know. I feel like there's too much relation there to, to, so that they wouldn't, like, I don't know. Like I wouldn't feels... be surprised if that was an earlier version of the script. Like, that honestly makes a lot of sense. I mean, if they're going to be paying tribute to, like, all different kinds of Scooby-Doo monsters yeah. and, like, backgrounds, little references and stuff, I'm sure that was in the cards. Otherwise, again, why would Patrick, like... Why would Patrick be so aggressive? Why would he be near the villains bar? Why would he be curating the museum as well? Like it's weird, but I do like how they how 
Well, no, they don't make a point of it because, of course, they don't. But, like, the fact <laughs> is the most obvious bad guy, they all assume it's him and they don't do anything. Like they, And, like, he, he actually didn't do a single thing wrong. He was just mining his own business trying to open a theme park. Which Le- I feel well, like is a- he's literally mining his own business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, mm-hmm. what? Not yeah yeah. So he was trying to turn the the theme park into like a a, a mining. Um, yeah, that's right. Thing, which again is like a really interesting. I know people are gonna get upset, but hey, w- episode two. Let's talk about politics. It was a really interesting um commentary about I thought capitalism. The fact that he was like, we're going to turn, we're gonna make a camp where kids can get an authentic mining experience. And then we get free miners. <laughs> like it's, it's literally a way for them to exploit labor. And I hmm. thought that was uh, under the guise so of these investors. So he's still being a villain, just yes. in a much more adult sense. Exactly. He's still a villain. Nothing's changed, but he's trying to be a legal villain. He's trying to be a modern day villain where everything is technically legal, but boy, it's wrong. It sure is yeah. wrong. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, I don't, I don't really, you know, it's it's weird as I keep watching, like, as I was watching the movie, I kept thinking, like, I did think about this movie in a modern context, how you brought up, like, the main person behind, like, this whole thing, the villain, was the news, was the me- was the member of the media. The member of the media. Yeah. And her cameraman. In a modern, so this is something we were talking about off, uh, off mic, um, and uh, it's something that, because... The first episode with Ricky, we didn't talk too much about the villain, the mysterious masked figure, um, who ended up being Heather Jasper Howe um, slash Jacobo the pterodactyl. But Heather is the only journalist in the movie that's like given, you know, a big prominent role, and she turns out to be spreading fake news. And she turns out to be literally the enemy of the people. And I feel like those are all things that wouldn't fly today that like the studio would demand a rewrite on or, or just, it wouldn't be written at all. Um, because people, it it would just seem way too on the nose. Um, and it would, I think it would spread, a, a bad idea. It, w- it would spread the idea that yes, see, the news is bad. Media is bad, uh, and that's that's not great. I think. Yeah, uh, it, it's especially weird because like she is. It's so weird how she like consistently antagonizes the uh, the gang and then and it's weird how everybody just kind of goes with it like mystery stinks they have on their signs outside their place yeah again how do these i hate to do this but because it's a live action movie i have to ask how do they make money <laughs> how do they like who mystery uh, inc yeah like oh like uh, uh, i know it's in the name but do they get paid for th- this like they don't um well okay so i don't know about this again scooby-doo lore i don't know about this specific universe um, but they almost always decline payment. Um, again, hey, let's talk about Scooby Doo and capitalism. So they they always so they almost always decline payment, right? Um, almost if they get any sort of 
payments. Uh, it's usually just in the form of paying for expenses slash whatever Shaggy and Scooby break uh, or eat or whatever. But it's it's usually never any sort of payment. They just kind of go around offering their services for uh, free. Again, asterisks because sometimes shaggy and scooby are like like it just pay for us to have a buffet man or whatever you know like um but uh so they're offering they're just traveling around offering their services but uh the way that they continue keeping things uh keeping the business running is um in i think in and again i'll have some scooby-doo experts on to clear the air in future episodes but it's mostly just that daphne is just super duper rich and, oh, yeah, that's right. And her and yeah, her and her family are super rich and um she can just kind of fund the whole operation um if she needs to. There might be I mean I don't I, again, I don't know what the lore is of this specific universe, but that seems to be how it works. Hmm. Interesting. I just I think about this because like, I mean as as a fully grown well, as a quote, adult unquote. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I like in live action settings, um, as, as other people online have pointed out, like it's when you're adapting something that from a cartoon to live action, it is sometimes not unwise to point out that to point out that the the uncanny valley is completely removed. And now there are lingering questions. And I just like I, you know, I don't I don't ask where they get their money to like ruin the movie or anything like I'm no, not it's not an, that. No, I understand. It's. Look, I love asking. My whole job is trying to ask questions and and analyze things in ways that hopefully make media better. Look, we all we all like things in, in different ways. Some people show their love of something simply by enjoying it and praising it. Some people, like you and I, uh, like to question things and figure out what the deeper meaning is, intended or not, and uh, that helps. At least I, I think for me, it, it adds an interesting layer of, of depth to these stories and characters, again, whether it was intended or not. And it just makes it makes them more interesting and it makes it fun to discuss with other people, hopefully for 31 days straight. Yeah, I, I still I cannot believe I cannot believe you're about to watch this movie 31 times. <laughs> like, I mean, I it was, again, everybody's subjective opinion, but like that was hard for me to get through once. I will, if I may, um, Scott, yeah. something that did come to mind as the movie was wrapping up was like, because it, it, my mind just wanted this because we are in the franchise age. I thought, how would Scooby-Doo, how would live action Scooby-Doo work in a modern climate? And I think it's totally possible to do a, like a, a Scooby-Doo series, Marvel-esque, like just, you know, staying true to the characters, but still like developing them and like having them like have actual arcs and whatnot and exploring the tropes that define them. Because at this point, like these, you know, in their most, in their rawest form, just like how, just like in the same way as Star Wars, the Scooby Doo cast is like a series, it's just like a bunch of archetypes that move and talk. Like that's basically it. Yeah. Like, like, think about it. Isn't like, I know this is kind of a weird comparison, but isn't like Cabin in the Woods basically just Scooby Doo, but they're all like killed off and they don't have the names? <laughs> isn't that right? I well, mean, Cabin in the Woods is just every horror movie ever made. So, and I mean, did that, I mean, did that all start here? You know, the pretty one, the jock, the scholar, the fool, and the virgin. Oh, sure. <laughs> they're, they're, they're all... Well, I mean, that's even what the first movie was about. Like, you're talking about the, you know, the... the uh, I'll, use, I'll use the terms 
uh, that Cabin in the Woods used. So anyone who doesn't know, number one, um, if you haven't seen Cabin in the Woods, do it. It's October. What are you doing? Watch Cabin in the Woods. I love it so much. Um, but it's the idea that every horror movie is is built on... Um, well, not every horror movie, but Western horror movies specifically as we're following these characters is kind of built on uh, tropes. And the tropes, the terms that that movie specifically uses, um, so apologies, I'm just quoting them, uh, is the, I believe, the jock, the scholar, the uh, the fool, the whore, and the virgin, right? Yeah. And like the first Scooby-Doo movie even points out that because as you were trying to say like so shaggy would be the fool fred would be the jock velma would be the scholar i guess that would leave daphne as the quote unquote whore Mm. whatever i don't like that term but you get it um uh i think she's not that way but again the whole thing with cabin in the woods as they say uh is they work with what they have so sometimes they don't fit into the exact uh you know slots but then when it comes to the quote-unquote virgin um scooby is pointed out in the first movie to be the only one who's pure of heart and that's what makes him perfect for the ritual at the end so that's a really interesting that's that's weird yeah that's a really interesting um analysis there is it is it not is it unfair to say that the genesis of like of classic movie monster or classic slasher movie victims that cabin in the woods like parodies and lampoons basically started with scooby-doo you know like i don't know I, I i'm not a huge um horror history expert but uh yeah i don't know i don't know when that would have started i'd love to look into it though yeah so i just like i just like kind of that started you know kind of went off in my head like how you would adapt it and i think the main thing just getting back like wrapping this all up with like our thoughts on like the villains i think what you could do and this is a bit this is a bit like of a big leap for this franchise that is so, so famous for unmasking people is that we know the culprit from the beginning, but the mystery is how he got there. Yeah. Like that, like maybe not the first movie, the first movie, like in this uh, the Scooby-Doo trilogy, I guess, or whatever, like the first movie would be classic, like setting the setting the bar. And then the second one, as most sequels do from Spider-Man to the, like, to Nolan's Batman like just that's when you break the rules and you like and you try new things and that's what uh, I think would work well especially in a modern environment where mystery doesn't like it exists but it's in a totally different way than just unmasking people I would say so first of all for setting up a Scooby-Doo franchise I want to propose the name Scooby Cinematic Dooniverse that's and that that's why you have almost 500 thou that that, that right there is why thank you sir I have just been waiting for someone to mention my subscriber count that's all this podcast (laughs) has been for a vanity project to watch Scooby-Doo 2 31 times (laughs) Um, but yeah so I think I would I would love them to kind of do what Mystery Inc. did, which is one of my favorite Scooby-Doo shows. If you're a Scooby-Doo fan, I feel like most people love Mystery Incorporated, um, that series, because it told in an ongoing mystery from week to week, um, which was very different from the previous shows where it would do it would do Monster of the Week. And Mystery Inc. still did that, but at, usually at the beginning or end of each episode, there would be kind of something that tied into the whole theme of the season or series. By the end of the series, 
every episode was just continuing the one big mystery as you went down that line. And I think that would be a great... I need to watch this show. It's so That good. sounds like my kind of thing. It's so good with the exception of, in my opinion, the way that they portray Velma in certain episodes. Velma is overall great, but they make her out to be super clingy in ways that I... I, I super minor spoilers there's a bit in there in in the run where they try to pair velma and shaggy together as a couple that's right i was wondering there was one show that did that and uh and shaggy wasn't really into it um but velma really was and then she kept getting upset that he that yeah that he wasn't paying enough attention to her and everything like that and it it would be one thing if they just like tried and, and it didn't work out or whatever but Boy, they wrote her in like a really kind of obnoxious way that didn't really do her any favors. Whereas you look at uh, Daphne and Fred and their relationship is just so um, interesting and and, and kind of complex, in my opinion, about how um, they care for each other, but in a way that they don't really... Um, admit most of the time and it's kind of a big deal when they finally like it's like the um it's like it's like guardians of the galaxy like this whole like the unspoken thing between us sort of a thing and that makes it really interesting to watch yeah Um, plus i mean have we ever seen like a definitive origin story for the scooby for the i was going to say the scooby gang but that's not correct the like just the 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 scooby-doo gang i guess um a definitive origin story? I, I mean, we've Mystery Inc. certainly paints the biggest picture of uh, of that. But again, that all depends on timelines. Obviously, a pup named Scooby Doo is has to take place in some other different universe um, than a lot of these because that was them being. They weren't even Mystery Inc. They were the Scooby Doo Detective Agency, and. Um, you know, they had known each other since they were children. Obviously, okay, so if you want to talk about the the most overt Scooby-Doo origin story, that's where the third Scooby-Doo live-action movie comes into play. What? Yes. Oh, I just remembered. There are four of them. And there are f- Yes. That's right. And it's called The Mystery Begins, and it is the uh, origin story of... Uh, of of the gang and, and it's canon to this series i think it was meant to be i don't think people consider it now um because i, I don't I, I i didn't hate it i thought it was interesting um obviously they break some of their own continuity rules in scooby in scooby-doo monsters unleashed they talk about how their very first ghost was the black knight ghost but that's not who the villain was in uh mystery begins it was some like school ghosts but you could you could work your way around a headcanon and say that well maybe the black knight ghost was the very first one under mystery inc and they weren't really mystery inc when they first started so like you know you can kind of headcanon your way to make it all kind of fit but yeah um but yeah, I think that's probably the most overt origin, but I don't think most people would look at it and be like, yeah, hmm. that's the one that I believe in. So yeah, so I would think that, you know, if you want to make this work today, because I, I don't mean to derail this, this podcast completely. This is just the stuff I was thinking about while watching the movie. You take the lessons that you learned from Scooby-Doo Monsters Unleashed, you know, like be a genuine homage, a tribute, a, uh, a love letter to the franchise, while also exploring the character's how they fit into these tropes and take lessons from the better, like the better uh, parts of the overall 
franchise, the mega franchise, and you make it like you make it the central core of the uh, of the film and of the, of the series itself. Like, uh, I don't know, like isn't that isn't that like isn't a Scooby Doo movie in the works? A live action one has been in the works for a few years now to like kick off its own no. cinematic universe. No, I don't think live action. I think it is animated, but like three yeah. D animated. But I mean, yeah, I mean, a guy, you know, just a a team of 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 you know. Kids with different with baggage. These are supposed to be teenagers, right? Um, Am I crazy? Not not in this movie. Not in Monsters Unleashed. Monsters Unleashed well, is is you know they've been at it for ages. That's why they have yeah, the whole yeah. museum. But yes, when they first started, they were high schoolers. You know, high schoolers with a lot of baggage, and you know, like you just you put them all together, you know, solving mysteries, and you know, maybe they don't like each other that much at first because again, they're teenagers. But like, and I think if we're gonna talk about Scooby Doo as like the heart and soul of the piece, you would make. Scooby-Doo, like, maybe not a puppy, but, like, younger and not as I mean, obnoxious. I'm all game for a pup named Scooby-Doo movie. I would yeah. love that. You know, it would, I mean, it, it could work pretty well. What's what's the screenwriter up to these days? Is he, uh... Oh, he yeah, on, what's, online? is he doing anything? I can't, I don't know, maybe his, 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 uh, calendar's open wide up. Could you imagine someone? if, if James Gunn came back and, like, made the definitive Scooby-Doo movie? <laughs> okay, so... Many months ago, somebody there was an article about how WB was eyeing James Gunn for an upcoming project, specifically now that he wasn't working with Disney anymore. And I made the joke tweet that I stand by that I was like, hear me out, Scooby-Doo 3, Monsters Unleashed 2. <laughs> I'm here for it. Let's do it. Yeah, I just, it's, I think now that I look at the grand scope of things, it is so weird to me how Scooby-Doo just doesn't, like, gravitate towards movies that much, even though, like, they are the progenitors for so much of, like, classic, uh, okay, not classic, but, like, 80s onward horror cinema, you know? Just, they're, they're, like, they are cornerstones of the entire affair. Like, you know, the way we look at mysteries and, like, evil monsters and stuff in media, Scooby-Doo helped shape that. And the fact they have only had this, these two movies, is is a little strange. It's like how they didn't get, like, John Carter until, like, 2000-whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, even even with it being one of the most influential pieces of literature of all time. Yeah. You know. I, um, I agree. I think, I mean, and who doesn't love a good mystery to solve? Yeah, and, like, an actual honest-to-God mystery. An actual mystery that, yes. like... You know, I don't know if they'd go all Sherlock Holmes and be like, we think it's actually this person. And they like ripped it off the mask and we don't know who it is. But like something <laughs> like wherein you could incorporate a genuine mystery that like, pe- you know, yes. it wouldn't be like super obvious. It would be kind of, you know, and like those who would be rewarded at the end, like make it not a game, but like a, just a consistent, like a string of clues that you pick up on in the background that you, while you're also enjoying the movie to make it a thing. All right, I'm, I'm going way off the rails, but just <laughs> take what Scooby-Doo 2 tried yes. and make it real. Make it good and real and maybe don't rely too much on the fart jokes in my opinion um but you know honest uh, honestly i love the fact that they tried to make they tried to add the cartoon comedy in there into a live action thing like the way that physics work kind of differently and and interesting shaggy shaggy sped off like cartoon style and i love that stuff i live for that stuff absolutely they should do it i was gonna suggest a a live action scooby-doo like Netflix series or HBO series? Mm, oh, okay. Not HBO, but Netflix would pick up on that good. Netflix would be good, but I there's something there's a part of me that's like I I love that, but I do want to see Scooby. But here's the thing: I would I would want it to be 
in longer than an hour or longer than a half hour format. Like hmm. we have so many half hour Scooby-Doo cartoons. I'm not complaining. I would love more, but um, I think having an hour long or even, you know what you were, you were like, we're comparing it to Sherlock Holmes. If they took the, like the BBC Sherlock format and they just made like, you know, like, what is it? Velma's Mere, Mind Mere, Palace. Well, not, the, okay, let's, <laughs> let's, I want to be clear. I don't care for Sherlock. <laughs> um, I don't think there's a lot of, uh, I, th- I think there's a lot of mispotential there. But what I mean is take the format of basically just making like a handful of lengthy movies, essentially, like that are over an hour, close to 90 minutes long, right? but mm-hmm. only make a limited amount of them every like year. And like, that's the Scooby-Doo that I would like to see where it's, it's kind of like having a handful of, of live action Scooby-Doo movies. Um, and you can spend that time telling a really awesome, interesting mystery and have an over, you know, have something that arcs over the whole season, but also tell the little bits. I don't know. I just want, I want to see a live action Scooby-Doo done incredibly well. You know, hmm. That's that is an interesting approach. WB owns Scooby Doo, right? Like I still, right? Correctamundo. Yeah. <laughs> what am I thinking? It's gonna be a. It would be a CW show. Oh, I God. mean, like, you know what? Though, hold on. If the <laughs> Scooby Gang popped up in Riverdale. Oh my God! <laughs> oh my God! That would be incredible. I would and actually I, really love that. <laughs> yeah, like as somebody who abides by Riverdale. Look, Hashtag what the hell Riverdale. Look, but man, like, freaking oh, that would... the Riverdale tone is perfect for Scooby Doo. I think like the, there's oh mysteries God. all over. Yeah, and and I mean like no, I it's, it's it's weird to think that like you know Riverdale is like whoa it's Archie but done dark but like Scooby Doo is it's so almost close to making it work if not for that dog because <laughs> you you <laughs> like a talking tricky. dog you just cannot. I just don't know if you can make that work in, like, a more serious light. That's just the one thing. Unless you just make it, like, just a really smart dog that doesn't, like, actually talk or anything. That's but probably then, the route they would go, I, I would yeah. imagine. If they, if I mean, they aren't did they that. rebooting Buffy, too? Like, you could do, like... That's true. Like, a Warner Brothers, like, just, like, make Riverdale the central hub for, like, all <laughs> yeah. of these old TV and, like, media properties in a weird, dark setting. That That's how you do it. Yeah, just and, like, I mean, well, they've already, they're doing Sabrina the Teenage Witch as well. Is that in the Riverdale universe? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. I, w- I wasn't sure oh, if no, it was canon Oh, sorry. Or not. What I mean is th- that character is in, like, the comics. I don't know if that's in specifically. Oh, yeah, yeah. The re- I, don't, I, I actually mm-hmm. have no idea if the, if the show is. Hmm. Um, I'd have to look into that. I don't yeah, really like, know. Yeah. I think what we're getting at, just to, just to wrap this up, Scott. Yes. Is like, Tie a bow I, on it, Max. Let me yeah. have it. I think what we're getting at here is that what Scooby-Doo tr- 2 tried to achieve is tangible and realizable today and should be because what it was going for, how it was trying to tell a story about these characters and like what they represent in their many different incarnations, that can work in a, in a time that is so like metatextual as 2018 has, as 2018 is in all different kinds of ways. So props to Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed for attempting and leaving little bits and pieces of a great, deconstruction adaptation of these characters that's the movie we can put on the side but at least i'll give it credit for that (laughs) well that's a fantastic way to wrap up 
day two of Scooby-Doo to Monsters Unleashed. Um, Max, thank you so much for joining, for taking over an hour of your time to be here. And uh, Of course, I, I hope I didn't derail things too bad. <laughs> no, no, no. I think we talked about a lot of new interesting ground, uh, and I'm excited to see... Uh, how people respond to some of this stuff because I felt like the first episode was just a lot of like praise with a lot of, uh, you know, some criticisms, but mostly just being like, wow, this movie, you know, it's a lot of fun and we really like it. And then this one was a lot of, um, it's, it was a lot of, let's talk about Scooby-Doo and capitalism was in there a little bit. And I feel like that's the point when people are going to turn off this podcast forever, but we'll see how it goes. I'm sorry. I, I ruined this whole thing for you two days in, Scott. That's it was, right. It was my fault. Yeah. Um, we talked about Scooby-Doo, deconstruction, adaptation, yes. capitalism, and the politics of, of this of this universe. Yeah, and fake news. You know what? Yeah. I don't care what anybody else says. I had a good time. I had a good time, too. That's a good attitude, Max. Thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you on the internet if they want to? You can find me yeah. on YouTube.com slash Max Mariner. That's M-A-X-M-A-R-R-I-N-E-R. Fantastic. I have a a new video coming out pretty soon, close to this video, uh, about a certain uh, Marvel Comics character, because, you know, you guys oh, like those. Dang, um, I was actually... Okay, do you mind giving away who it is? Because I kind of want to talk about it briefly. Um, I know we're wrapping up. I'll give out who they are. <laughs> or it is... or it, uh, Venom, that's, that's what I'm getting at, Venom. Yeah. Venom, not in this Venom, not Tom Br- uh, Tom Brady, I cannot believe I did yes, that again. Tom Not Brady the Tom Hardy Venom. Venom, but the Topher Grace Venom. Speaking of uh, speaking of icons of the early two thousands, yes. Topher Grace's Venom from everybody's favorite movie in the Marvel in the Marvel canon, Spider Man Three. That's right. Um, I just wanted to touch on it briefly because the the tar monster in this movie was very. I I just was watching it and thinking, oh, I get to talk about this with Max, and it looks very oh god it's very venom like in the way that it looks i want to kill the scooby you want to kill the scooby <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah so go look out for that video it's gonna be a fun time um and uh if you want to follow me and what i do you can find me on twitter at uh scott nice wonder i have a youtube channel i didn't plug it in the last video i have a youtube or last podcast rather uh it's a youtube channel called nerd sync where we talk about comics and superheroes and analyze stuff and learn cool mm-hmm. stuff it doesn't matter i mean you may even see a scooby-doo video about it at some point maybe uh yeah. we will see if i have time this month i really want mm-hmm. to but we'll, we'll figure it out because clearly you have you are like far and away the person who knows about scooby-doo more than anybody else i know uh thank you i'm a scooby enthusiast but i'm not an expert which is why i'm excited to talk about some experts or talk with some experts on this podcast in the future so look forward to future episodes of that and also let me know you guys if you are participating in this i know we have at least a handful of people who are doing this with me and if that's you hit me up on uh, on Twitter or Instagram. It's just at Scott Nice Wander um, on both of those platforms. Tag me and stuff. Let me know how your journey is going. If there's anything in particular that you want me to talk about, uh, if you want our guests to talk about, and if you have guests who you want to uh, send this way, I have to fill out 31 days of guests. I don't know how I'm going to do have that. One. You have I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you afterwards. Tell Fantastic. you afterwards. I don't want to set that expectation. Yes, I was just about to ask if you had anybody. I, I, I that's going to be my plan until I fill out the whole month. Is just asking my current guests if they have anyone. Uh, as I talked about last episode, my ultimate goal is to have literally anyone who worked on this movie 
on the podcast. Doesn't matter what they did. Freddie Prince. I would, Freddie okay, Prince. Okay, I really want Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> He's got a YouTube channel, man. Like you could plug, you could work with him on a. This is vid- exactly what Ricky and I were talking. I think maybe we mm-hmm. talked about it off mic, but yeah, Ricky. I, yeah. R- Ricky and I were on the get Freddie Prince Jr. on this podcast hype train. All right, if you guys want Freddie Prince Jr. on this podcast, let first of all let him know. Uh, so that he kind of, there's like an outcry for it, I guess. Um, but I'm going to, the wa- public demands exactly. it, Scott. I'm going to wait until there's this podcast has a couple more episodes, but don't be shy about like, Hey, you know, go to his YouTube channel be like, Hey man, you should be on this podcast. Or if he has a Twitter, do that sort of thing. It would be a ton of fun. Um, and, um, but yeah, literally anyone, if you also know anyone else who has any connections, it doesn't have to be one of the main people. It can be the person, um, you know, who, just kind of like sat around being like, Hey, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what a movie set is like, but I imagine there's a person who's just kind of standing around. Somebody get craft services on oh this my podcast. God, yes, get craft services. Uh, I would love to know because what was Sarah Michelle Geller eating while they were shooting that Kung Fu scene? Why didn't they have Scooby snacks in this movie? God. That's my question. Whoa. That you, that just got me. I did not even notice. <laughs> They never did. Wow. Yeah. Classic. How do you do all this tribute and then you forget like... Staple of Scooby-Doo. Wow. Well, I mean, there are other... <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, you think about Scooby-Doo, you think about all these different ways you could incorporate the franchise. And I'm very glad at, at the least they realized their mistake from last time and kept Scrappy out. <laughs> That's right. Um, but other than that, thank you guys so much for listening. I'll see you tomorrow for another episode of this day three. It's going to be a fun time. Max, Mm. would you like to join me in doing uh, a nice loud Scooby Dooby Doo to end the podcast? This blackmail material. All right, let's do it. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Scooby Dooby 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 Dooby